Hi everyone, the Ask Mike Show. We are back again and today I'm joined with Steve Benson who's the CEO of Badger Maps which is fully, fully capable of helping you sales reps out, saving time, saving energy and still hitting the sales targets that you have. So Steve, thanks for being a guest on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. One of the first things that sprung to my mind was the fact that the world's now changed for sales reps, for salespeople, people that are entering other people's lives to sell them something. Since the pandemic, everything's shifted. So what has changed from your perspective? Obviously, you handle thousands of, of sales reps. What's changed and how have you seen people being proactive in terms of making the adjustments that they need to make? Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's so many changes in these times, right? And I think some of them will revert back to the way things were before the pandemic and some things uh, will not. Um, you know, we Obviously, we have thousands of people that use Badger Maps and they're field salespeople, outside salespeople. And so, um, especially in non-essential businesses, so you know, people selling beer to bars, for example, that were our customers or exercise equipment to gyms, they really saw their businesses seize up in, during these times. Whereas if you were send, selling a medic, medical devices to doctors or you know, food to grocery stores or something like that, you, there really wasn't much change. I mean, there was you know, a lot of things. I think pretty much everything shut down for a couple months, but then those essential businesses really opened back up again pretty quickly, you know, the, the selling things to dentist offices, stuff like that. Um, so now we're seeing those non-essential businesses come back and people, sales reps are able to get back out into the field. Uh, I, I think that a lot of those businesses did shift in those time, in, in, during those times to online sales or, um, and same things with re- retail salespeople. You saw a lot of retail salespeople, the store actually shutter, but then they shifted the business to, to, uh, to online sales. Um, restaurants, some some of those are the same thing, basically going uh, delivery only. But now that things are able to open up again, and and you know, I'm, I'm I guess I'm speaking specifically to uh, to America and, and other, you know, it just date ourselves. It's it's May of 2021. Um, you know, I, I think uh, you know we're we're seeing a lot of those things open up again, and some people are the people that their best way of going to market was field sales we're seeing them shift back to field sales and i think some of those businesses will keep those keep keep those other channels open like the online sales channel open and some some retail stores learned hey we can access a bigger market if we sell online and so they have actually this forced change for some businesses that really benefited them and others they're saying they're, they're finding oh really the best way for us to do this was with a retail store or the best way for us to do this was with a field salesperson so we're going to go we're going to we're going to rethrottle that part of our business back up and, and go to market that way again um and so i think we're, we're seeing different things happening with different people and different different businesses and different industries it's interesting that you bring up technology and then the outside salesperson, they seem like contradictions, but you seem to have pinpointed an area whereby salespeople, the typical sort of cliche of door-to-door sales, right? It's 
one of the longest standing ways that people have ever sold anything. How has technology allowed that to be at scale while still maintaining the, the I, I suppose, the door-to-door element, if you will, for want of a better expression? Can you do both? Can you have the technology and still have that feel to it? Or is there a bit more going on? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and you know, sales isn't what we call is not what we call the oldest profession, but it's it's up there. It's one of the older professions, and uh, you know, in, in particular, face to face selling and and little marketplaces that that's been going on, you know, since the beginning of time. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's an area that that technology can enable, like almost anything, right? I mean, you can there are inefficiencies in the process that. Uh, that, that you can seek to make more efficient. There are, there's technology enablement tools that you can bring to bear to, to make things go faster, bigger, stronger, better. Um, and that's, that's really what, what, you know, Badger Maps, the company I started, started out to do was go after this group of people, outside salespeople who historically have been underserved by technology. Um, and it's because they're, they're a, a minority group, really like they're, only about 15% of salespeople are field salespeople, you know, out and out meeting customers face to face. A lot of customers, a lot of salespeople are in retail, you know, in a store. A lot of sales are happening through e-commerce. A lot of sales are happening over the phone, inside sales. Uh, and so a lot of CRM systems and other creators of technology have really focused on the bulge of the market as opposed to the minority, which is really what you do when you're, when you're building technology, you build, it's better to build for the masses than build for a niche just because there's more of them. Right. So, the, so field sales really was, was a hard group to enable also because, you know, technology first came to laptops, you know, it came to the desktop, came, came through the browser or came in on thick client software that you load up on a computer and uh, mobile lagged those things like, good, you know, good, good laptops were out way before good phones were. And uh, field salespeople really needed this to be mobile. They really needed their technology to be consumed on the move on a tablet or on their phone. And so that was kind of, you, you needed kind of this, this next wave of software to to deliver software on those devices because of that it's such a mobile user, and so we we set out to solve the problems of field salespeople and solve them on their mobile device, um, and that's that's what we've done. So with the rise of the pandemic and the virus, essentially putting a lot of businesses out of business you know a lot of companies have been struggling they've had to cut back on their staffing perhaps and all that so we're almost working from home some people you know like they've gone fully mobile in themselves um and for those that have no idea this show is actually done on zoom which is a it's a call software so has technology helped salespeople in that way? Maybe they don't need to be mobile anymore because of the pandemic. They can do their job from home without going door to door or shop to shop or whatever the case is. So how much of an impact has that made? And what has 
been the impact of that? Oh, it's been it's been enormous. And and every every Zoom sales rep would tell you that all business is going to be done over Zoom. And every every consulting practice around digital transformation will tell you that you know field sales is dead and that uh, that uh, everyone's going to be just working from their homes forever. And and therefore we have to hire them to help make that transition. I, I think that's not that's not what I'm seeing in the data. And I I see about, you know, I'm I'm in a a pretty unique position, right? Because I see data on, you know, 5,000 companies that use Badger Maps for their field sales teams, right? So I can see what's going on with all those companies and how they're changing their behavior. Um, We've we've seen about a 20% decline in meetings with uh, across the board since before COVID started. But that that shift has been unevenly distributed, meaning that, that some industries just ground to an absolute standstill. They laid off their teams, their company went bankrupt, or and, and they obviously canceled their licenses with us. On the other hand, a lot of companies did not go out of business in these times. I mean, they are still employing their sales team. They're, they're still paying for their stuff. Um, and these are the essential businesses, right? So a lot of businesses weren't really affected all that much by this because you know, if you sell shoulder joints to doctors, we're blowing out our shoulders at the same rate now as we were before uh, before COVID. But you know, if you're selling exercise equipment to gyms or beer to bars, then uh, then then you, uh, you your business really suffered in these times. So uh, the non-essential businesses really suffered, and and the gyms not because gyms aren't investing in new equipment right now, and bars are closed. So. In the midterm and certainly the long term, um, I think we're we're seeing a lot of these jobs come back right now. Uh, you know, companies and, and sometimes it's under a, a different name, right? But it's the same people coming back to us and saying, "Oh, we're getting back up and going again." We, you know, someone that distributes beer to Southern Idaho, for example. Maybe that company went bankrupt; they wiped their debt, um, and uh, but now they're coming back with under a different name, and uh, the same people are doing it, and uh, and things are coming back to life. Uh, and I and I suspect that that pattern that's the pattern we're seeing in America. And I suspect as vaccination rates go up in Europe and around the world, then um, we'll see that mimicked there as well. As well. What I found quite curious is the people that are proactive, the people that move it the way the world is. Some of them will just go back to the way things were and operate in the way that they used to. And it'll be as if the pandemic never happened. Now, it may take years. It may take months. I don't want to put a timestamp on on when that would happen. But for some people, they just adapt and they're able to adapt quickly enough that they can move precisely when the world moves. You know, like people go from working from home to working online to working mobile. And all of a sudden they go, oh, well, I'll just go back to working it in an office or working for whatever sort of situation they were in beforehand and technology would step in as a, a tool that they can use as and when it improves the whether it's being more productive or getting more done in less time I mean the amount of people that are probably a bit happier without having the daily commute <laughs> potentially hours to work um that would be saved by, look, we'll just have our morning meetings on Zoom, get to the office whenever you can, all that sort of stuff. So I'm predicting some of it could be like a hybrid 
type situation where you may still have some of the old way we're bringing in some of the way that they've adapted and gone this is actually better off absolutely yeah well it depends on and it depends on the on the role right some some roles you can really do from home and other roles you cannot and it also depends on the person some people are happy working from home and maybe we'll never leave their houses again and other people are really unhappy in that situation and, and will not and i think we will see kind of a shaking out um some businesses are all remote right now and plan on going all back to the office because they can see that they're getting a lot less done other businesses it's not affecting them given what they do and uh and same with, with individuals so i think it you know i think a lot of people will switch jobs after this because they'll this is a whole new element that we've been able that we're now able to optimize on and we've learned how to optimize on um i would say from from my perspective on sales field sales is not dying and it's certainly not dead um, I've heard several pundits say things like that. And I'm like, that's not what the data is showing at all. But um, the face-to-face -face meetings are, are crucial for a lot of types of sales. It's the best way to, to do those types of sales. It shortens sales cycles, it deepens relationships, and, and, and people will still keep selling in that way. Maybe they couldn't for a little while, but it, that, while they weren't, they, they often, they knew that wasn't the, what the way they were doing, it wasn't the best way and they <laughs> and they'll sell more as soon as they can do it that way again. And if they don't, if you're in an industry where, where field sales is the best way to go to market and you chose, no, we're just going to keep selling this online, your competitors will eat your lunch, right? There's a reason people do, there's a reason people go to market and the best way to go to market for their industry. And it's, you know, I think it is really hard to replicate the connections that are made with customers in person through Zoom or over the phone. You know, it, it, these internet, internet interactions are kind of clunky. They're kind of awkward. And I think in-person meetings much more give the salesperson the opportunity to connect and really understand a customer, really understand their problems. And not to mention people thrive off of social interactions. And, you know, the in-person, you're able to tap into that human need for connection and, and create real lasting relationships. Um, also, I think it's it's definitely easier to read the room for objections and engage how your customer really feels in person in a way that you really can't do over the phone or over Zoom. And, uh, you know, on, on the other hand, there's, there's a lot of reasons that when the, the, that, you know, when all you can do is talk on the phone, sales cycles will extend. Right. Like it's just, it, I think it's just, it's harder to do things. And, and the good news is that as people can go outside again and, and have these meetings face to face now, that the, as the world becomes vaccinated, um, we're all going to go through a surge, I think, because deals that were dragging along, and we can see this with our customer base too, deals that have been kind of extended during bad economic times and extended because you're going to market in a suboptimal way as soon as you can do it the right way, those sales cycles compress. And when a whole bunch of sales cycles extend, the, the net effect on your finances is that sales come in slower and you you and revenue drops. But the opposite happens when sales cycles compress and are able to, there's a reason to close them now and you can get things going. And, and that that's a surge in revenue. So hopefully we'll we'll see that and uh, going, you know, we'll see that over the next few months here. It's interesting you bring up sales cycles isn't it because there'll be a massive um i guess decision that these companies will have to make you know they might be able to have 
more sales conversations if it's virtual employing things like zoom and technology but then the quality of those may actually get less or the the cycle might drag out or they might not be able to really connect with the salesperson over zoom and or whatever other software they decide to use it's almost like the trade-off between the more conversations you have versus the quality of those conversations then the person on the other end getting to the point where they sign on the dotted line so to speak that might take longer than i go you know what i'd rather you have less conversations face to face but actually end up making more sales because you're able to solve problems there and then handle objections there and then it's like when i when i used to be a personal trainer I would have all of the solutions to all of their problems and objections and everything from meeting them to booking their first session with me. I'd carry that around with me so that every conversation that I had could turn into sessions with people from paying to all of that would be done there and then on the session if the conversation went that way but if it's on zoom or on the phone or any of those things even if it's done there and then you can it's still dragged out over the length of the call rather than okay let's get in and let's get to the real core of the problem that we're trying to solve here and really make sure that we do a good job even the best phone call will probably still be longer than the best face-to-face conversation but i'll be right in saying that as something that that you can speak to yeah i i i think what you're observing there is completely right Uh, and and i think that these conversations over zoom or over the phone they they just take longer to move the ball downfield you know it's uh it's the sales cycle extends for a lot of reasons you you don't know who in the room who who in the who who in the decision making process? I mean, because they're not all in the same room together. I guess that's the issue, right? The they're, the different people in the in the decision making process aren't in the same room, and it's just hard to get everyone focused and figure out what el- what everyone's problems are, what's blocking things from going forward on this new idea or this investment or getting this new thing done. And generally, you know, what are salespeople selling? They're selling a new a product or service that you don't ex- you don't have right now that's going to make things better for your, your company or for this person. And, and it's, it's uh, there by nature, there's a decision-making process there. That's why you hired a salesperson to do it. And, and, you know, over the phone, it's just harder. You don't know that the, you can't necessarily elicit the objections from people appropriately because you don't, in a way, you, you know, you can't see that, Oh, that guy just leaned back in his chair and folded his arms when I said this, because he didn't agree with it. And a good salesperson is going to pick up on that and know, hey, there's an objection there kind of about this topic that I should feel out. You can't do that over Zoom necessarily, especially if people aren't using their video. And even if they are, it's kind of hard to keep an eye on people. You just lose that natural um, human nature stuff that you, you get in person. And and it's, and it's it can also be harder to just, you don't have the ability to like have those water cooler conversations or have the ability to have, you know, the ability to, you know, the rapport building that you can ask honest questions and get honest feedback. 
And you know, there are ways around this. I think there are there are things that you can do as a salesperson who should you know that you're better off in person, but you can't be right now. There are things that you can do to combat this. Um, a great a great thing, a, a great example of that is it, you can leverage your sponsor. And, and, and of course, should you always be leveraging your sponsor, having them be your eyes and ears within the organization? And who's a sponsor, right? Just a level set. The person in the company that you're talking to that really wants it done. Or if you're, you know, if you're a car salesman, even selling to a, a husband and a wife, either the husband or the wife wants this car more. They're kind of the spon- your sponsor in the, in the sales cycle. But, you know, if you're selling a complex enterprise product to a business, you may have 10 decision makers that are weighing on something. You got you to gotta have the person that is your sponsor um, try to uncover the objections that the other decision makers have, figure out who are the influencers for you, because you aren't able to do that from where, you know, over the phone necessarily in the same way as you would be in person. So you've got a, a, one thing I'd rec- recommend with your sponsor, jump on a pre-meeting call with them and, and try to you know, flesh out what are, what are the key questions that, that people have here? What are the key points that I need to, to make? And prepare them to ask those questions in an organic way so that you can make sure to bring something up to, or like if, if, if you know the CFO has a problem, an objection or a problem with this, if you can get your sponsor to bring that problem up, then you know it's gonna get discussed, right? Um, your, your relationship with that person, with your sponsor is so much more important when you're pitching remotely than if you're able to get in the room because you can't read the room for information in the same way that you can in a face-to-face situation. You can't, you know, the body language thing, the chit chat thing, um, you know, there's just the rapport that you have, you lose. And so your, your sponsor can follow up after the meeting um, with those decision makers and influencers, and they can get genuine feedback on your behalf that you aren't able to do from, as an outsider. And then you can work with that sponsor to figure out what the roadblocks are to, and then you can move that deal towards closure. I think there's definitely a lot to be said for the experience probably going to be better face-to-face. But what I was curious to know is some of the best conversations that you've seen, whether it be, well, we could probably do both. So start with face-to-face first and then we'll move over to virtual. So based on what you've seen and the salespeople that you've you've worked with and assisted, what are some of the main top things that these people do in terms of selling sales and, and making sales? Are there any core things that you've noticed over the years? Core skills and abilities that, uh, that, that great salespeople have. Um, I think that you, you can't underestimate the importance of curiosity in a salesperson because curiosity drives that salesperson to be a better listener. It drives them to ask the right questions, to uncover where is the, where is the value to this customer in my solution? And you've got to do that early in the sales cycle, right? You've got to ask, you've got to figure out why, where is the value I'm selling this product with these features that do these things. Why is that valuable to this customer that or this prospective customer that I'm talking to right now? Why do they want this? What, how is this helpful to them? 
Um, where, where do they, where are the, and you got to, as a salesperson, if early in the sales cycle, you can, you can tie down the value that you're providing and translate it into actual dollars. Meaning this person believes this prospect believes, or we agree that they will get a hundred thousand dollars a month in value from this feature, this, this aspect of the product. And and this, you know, that they're gonna that they're gonna save a hundred grand or make a hundred grand more, and my thing costs twenty grand a month. So, this is a no brainer. They're gonna make they're gonna be ahead eighty grand a month on this. And then you can use that knowledge throughout the entire sales cycle to move the deal downfield, to to overcome objections, to point to when the CFO has a problem with spending the twenty grand. Your, you know, your sponsor can say, ah, but wait, 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 we're, we're, we're going to make a hundred off of this because of this, this, and this, we've got the numbers to back it up. Yeah. When, when, when the procurement department starts negotiating with you and trying to get it for 15 grand, you can say, well, Hey, you know, we can't do that, but we all, you know, we already agreed that this is, you're, you guys are going to be ahead 80 grand a month on this. Right. And, this, and, and so it, it helps you at every single that curiosity and the ability to ask the right questions, listen to the answers and tie it to real value, um, that helps throughout the entire sales process. And that's why I think that's that's really a key characteristic of great salespeople. What if it's not monetary? Now, there may be some monetary aspects in terms of indirectly, perhaps, or maybe the software, the service, the product, doesn't give them any monetary directly from it but the ripple effect of it could be if you're able to explore that with them but what if what if that's not the case yeah and i think a lot of times it's not right a lot of times it's qualitative value or it's it these decisions are being made on feelings or a lot of, and a lot of product products especially if you're selling to consumers aren't necessarily um, you know, they're, they're not necessarily something that brings monetary value. Like why, why pay for a Corvette instead of a Toyota, right? Like a, you know, a, a basic sedan. Well, because of that value that it gives you, people, people make that purchase because of the feeling they're going to get from owning that. It's the confidence in the road. I mean, really, they're both just going to get you from point A to point B, right? It's doing the same job. It's fulfilling the same role. But, but a lot of times you're not, people aren't making their purchases based on just, you know, the 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 basic value that the thing will will provide but it's the intangibles it's why i feel great it's how do i feel when i'm driving this car from point a to point, a to point b point b what do other people think about me when i'm driving it from point a to point b um how comfortable am i and and these are these are qualitative things that maybe don't matter as much but to your point it's how it's how uh, decisions are made a lot of the time I completely agree, and I th I think the difficult thing for the salesperson, I'm sure you could probably speak to this as well, Steve, is if you're in front of somebody that is unable to put a value on that, that feeling, then it becomes difficult. Meaning, if someone says, well, how much is your health worth? What's well, priceless? You can't put a Absolutely. price on health. And yet when you're buying something or investing in something, you're expected to because it costs to produce it, costs to make it, costs to provide it. 
Therefore, somewhere down the line, somebody has to put a monetary value on feelings and experiences and something that some people can and some people simply are unable to do. I mean, obviously, my, my experience as a personal trainer, I can speak to that because, you know, yeah, for some people, it's greater or lesser in terms of importance, you know, depending on what their situation is. Their health could be more important if they got a doctor saying you've got six weeks to live unless you change everything versus someone that just wants to lose a few pounds. So sure. from that perspective, the, the, the feeling or the emotional side of it is dependent on who it is, right? Greater or lesser. But then if the, if the buyer is expected to put a monetary value on that, that can be quite difficult because their brain will instantly go to, well, it's priceless. It means so much to me to be able to do this. But then you as the seller have got to put a value on it from your side you know and i think that that's a difficult thing for me is how do you help people buyers or sellers because this is a two-way street in some regard put a monetary value on how they would feel or how they would like to feel what what's your take on stuff like that yeah um i completely agree with what you're saying i mean i think that there are there are things that are hard to value and hard to tie to dollar value. Economists would tell us that people's behaviors will show us how they actually value things. And um, a good example of this is time, right? And, and we have to do this at our company all the time because ultimately what does our product do for field salespeople? It saves them time. And, 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 that is an intangible value. If you're talking to their manager, their manager might say, well, I mean, they can just work harder. They can spend more time. But an economist will tell you that the way people behave indicates that they place a certain value on their time. Um, you know, like uh, a, a company that is picking up groceries and delivering them is saving you time. Uh, having someone else mow your lawn instead of you mowing your lawn saves you time. And the way people behave Economists will tell you that it shows that they value their time at about a third of their hourly wage. So meaning if someone's making $100,000 a year, they're, they're making about $50 an hour, right? Um, if they're working 40 hours a week. Um, that person, someone who makes $50 an hour, will generally outsource anything that costs um less than $17 an hour that they're going to have to do in their labor time. So 50 divided by three is 17 and change. And, uh, and so anything that if they can hire someone for 10 bucks an hour to, you know, mow their lawn, they're always going to do that because it's not worth their time to spend the hour mowing their lawn. If they could have someone else doing it, um, for cheaper than that. And, uh, so that's, so that's kind of uh, a way economists will tell you the world works is, is, uh, and so as if you're, so even things that are hard to value and hard to place a number of dollar value on people do it by people will, sh will actually still do it by their behavior. And so you can actually calculate it. And it's easier for a company too, I guess, if they're, when, they, when they're looking at their employees, they're like, well, we're paying this guy 50 bucks an hour. So anything, if we could have someone else do it for 25 and he's, and he or she is out of time, then we should, we should pay that 25. It's just, it, that's efficiency. 
But even as consumers, we we uh, we we do that. What if what they're buying is more important than what they would otherwise do with their time? So someone as a you know part of the the general workforce, so to speak, because uh, you mentioned like fifty dollars an hour to a lot of people, that could be classed as a lot of money. But what if what they're buying is emotionally more valuable than what they're actually going to spend the rest of their time doing and i'm aware these questions are getting harder and harder as the conversation goes along <laughs> no more philosophical i think they become more interesting because it's like if, if someone's doing reasonably well then you can base it financially if they've got a bit of wiggle room to play with but if they are you know sort of minimum wage ish type workers it becomes a tricky question because everything that they could be investing in is above and beyond what they can pinpoint from that hourly wage, um, mm-hmm. which, which makes sense. I mean, like if you're making like ten thousand an hour, or some top consultants would be far beyond that as well. They can work like let's just say like ten thousand an hour. They could work an hour while other people are doing things for them, and they could still make a profit because of what they like the whole sort of outsourcing cleaning you make more money while somebody else is cleaning than the cost of hiring the cleaner so that just makes sort of sense from a financial point of view but what if that's not the case what if basically on the hourly wage is it's almost like these people would never spend any money (laughs) they'd be too busy too busy working right to be able to make up for that deficit so it's it's a difficult question. I'm fully aware of that, Steve. But then, in my mind, it becomes about okay. Well, what would what would people be prepared to spend their is it extra income money that's left over after bills and expenses? That it becomes difficult because you can't you can't really base it on the same the same values, can you? Yeah, well, and I think that kind of what you're dancing around there is the concept of opportunity cost of your time. And so some people have a greater opportunity cost of their time than other people do. Um, if you, so this is a slightly different economic concept than the last one you were, you were discussing, but th- this one, th- th- this is, uh, it, it, for, for, one, for someone who works exactly 40 hours a week, maybe an additional and spending an hour of their time on something is pretty easy. They've got a lot of free time. Someone who's working 80 hours a week has, or has, or another example would be if you're, if you have a lot of just hobbies, maybe you're not working 80 hours a week, but you're someone who's doing this after work on Monday and this after work on Tuesday, and you've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, adding one more thing costs you a lot because you're gonna have to drop something that's going on already. If maybe you work 40 hours a week and then just go home and watch TV, if someone asks you to do something else, it's like, oh yeah, it doesn't. Co- I, I I could do that. So your time has a, a lower opportunity cost, meaning you don't have other things to do than the, than this thing. Very interesting that you bring that up because that comes down to insights and learning more about the person to figure out from a you know, trying to sell someone point of view, like what angle do you take? Because mm-hmm. if 
they are, if you learn about what their profession is, what their career is, and they do this, 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 and this, you go, oh, well, they would probably use this formula to come up with what they value versus somebody else. You go, oh, well, they probably go about how they spend their time, their money, their resources. They'd have a very different mindset from person number two. So how do sales reps and salespeople find that level of insight? Great question. Yeah. So how how do sales reps and salespeople get insights on on customers and, and how do they know what's important to them? What know what they value really? And that gets back to that curiosity, you know, like the, the asking the right questions, being observant when you enter their room, you know, like that you're selling in this, you know, this is a challenge in the, in the virtual world, obviously this, the, the background that you see now isn't my real room. It's just a generic one that's running in the background. But uh, yeah, it, when, when you enter someone's office, you can kind of see what's important to them. You can see how they behave. You can see, you can learn things about them. And, uh, and, then, and you get to, and you, and, you can ask questions and be curious and try to figure out what's really important to this person. What makes them tick? What's, what's, what do they value? And then you can shape your sales pitch to, to those things, right. To those values that they have and no, really knowing your customer. I mean, you, if you sell dental tools to dentists, then you're, you're very accustomed to, to talking to dentists. You do it all day. They don't get to talk to dentists all day. They talk to their patients all day. You may be an expert on them. You may be an expert on dentists. And so you, you may know things that are in, you know, floating around in the back of their head because you've talked to other dentists about it. So you can kind of, I, I think that salespeople should approach, the, approach their customers almost like curious anthropologists studying this new group of humans that, uh, that they can learn about and get to know and really, you know, be an expert in. And that, that helps, that helps you sell more it really does. It makes sure it'll make your sales career better. So how does Badger Maps fit into this thing? Cause we've spoken about economics, people making decisions, using technology. Now the world's trying to get back on its feet again. Where does Badger Maps fit into all this? Great question. Yeah. So, you know, we help field salespeople uh, be more efficient, basically. So we're um, we're on the phone, we're on their computer, we're an application on their iPad um, or tablet, and you know what we what we help them do is look at all their information. Maybe that information's in a CRM, maybe that information's in a spreadsheet. They're able to upload that spreadsheet to our so- to our software or connect connect Badger Maps to their CRM system to pull in all the data about their customers and give it to them in a map-based environment where a field salesperson can then make decisions around who's our, who are the most important people for me to focus on to sell more given where I'm going to be. Given that I'm already driving out to this suburb, who's important on the way, who's important on the way home? What if I took this way, this route home? How do I fill out my day and my schedule with the most valuable things and make decisions around who I'm going to spend my time with and from with my customers, right? There, maybe I sell to 500 different dentists or could sell to 500 different dentists. Which are the the seven that I'm going to meet with on on Thursday? That's the that's the question we help them answer. And then we we do a lot of little tasks for them as well. 
we help them find more dentists for starters. We're connected to a bunch of databases of information. Um, and, and obviously not just dentists, but whatever the field salesperson is selling to. Uh, we, we help them connect to, uh, we help them understand things about their customers. We help them build out their schedule and figure out, okay, well, will I be able to get from here to here and be on time given that I'm gonna be here, I'm gonna talk to this customer. How long can I talk to this customer if I still have to leave and travel these these 17 minutes to get to this customer? When you when you when they move their whole when they have a tool to move their whole day around like that and organize, they they end up getting more meetings in done in a day. They end up driving less, spending less time behind the wheel, and they end up spending time more with the with the best customers. So we kind of save time and 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 help them focus, and uh, that's that's what we do for for outside salespeople. So you may notice that's why I touched on needing insights uh, before we brought the conversation over to Badger Maps because it seems like a combination of insights mixed with where are these people in relation to you. It's like a GPS involved as well would i be right in saying that yeah absolutely it provides in, insights it gives you the ability to to make decisions or, or based on those insights and it collects more information um as well and make we, we make we make collecting information about your customers taking notes about the what happened in this meeting and then sending that information back to your crm automatically very easy and that's that's often a big pain point for field salespeople. But yeah, I think you're you're absolutely correct in 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 kind of bringing up, you know, needing to have the insights to make decisions is really uh, is really what ultimately what we're helping people do. So how did salespeople, outdoor salespeople, people that are out and about, boots on the ground, how did they do this before you came along, and what was the story behind why you felt it was needed? Great question. So, um, you know, and, and when I started my sales career, the way I did it was the same way everyone else would do it. And, and this has been going on forever, right? I mean, when, when, when field salespeople were selling things 500 years ago, they, they often would have a map or they would just know in their mind, they would have a map where they were going. They would have to, you know, and, and, you know, I, I, I always had a, a book of maps in my car, you know, that, that, that it would help me get where I was going, like, you know, pay, a book of paper maps of, of the state of California I had in my car. Um, and then, you know, they had a, a paper, ca paper calendar where you, they would write it down, okay, at one o'clock, I have to be here at this address. And then that became using Google Maps instead of the, the book of maps that became a digital calendar. Um, and they've always, people used to have a Rolodex that became a CRM. And so what we're, really, what we're really doing is stitching together your CRM and a, a, your digital calendar and a mapping service all into one product. And we're putting it on the mobile device, which is where field salespeople needed it. And so the company has been around for about 10 years. And the reason it didn't exist before that was because it was being done, you know, in these other ways. And there wasn't a way to do it on the mobile device yet. And that's really where the field salesperson needed it. And it feels like we've had, you know, great mobile phones forever, but actually we've only had them for 10 years or so. So, uh, you know, that, and that's, that was really the change. And, and I was at Google at the time working a lot with mobile and working on the mapping products and, uh, and the cloud, the cloud services that Google had. And, um, and so I kind of understood the building blocks of a piece of software like this. And then I understood the problem because I'd been in field sales myself. 
I like how you combined everything that people needed but didn't have in one place and it's very often you know the the typical story of Richard Branson starting his airline was because of essentially not perfect service when he wanted to fly and it seems like you've taken a a similar approach in terms of how you came up with your idea and I think especially with the boots on the ground reasserting itself when the world gets back to where it should be you know where when the uh, the pandemic becomes more navigatable and the, the risk disappears that i do agree that it will probably come back it will get back to the way it was because it's always going to be needed it's always going to be face to face with the with the decision maker you know they can make the decision they can take action they can get the ball rolling straight away and I think more than anything, you're going to be part of their ability to do that. Because if you can make it efficient, it starts to compete with the virtual. Because without a system like yours, it, there's a bit of a delay, not in terms of the conversation, but getting to these people, finding these people. If you don't know enough about them, the conversations aren't as effective either. So by having a combination of the insights, the maps, where they are, the scheduling, all those things, face-to-face sales can actually compete with and in some cases be better than this massive uptake on virtual selling um because you've bridged that gap you've bridged that gap between the two and it's almost like face to face the face to face like badger and using badger and how to improve the way sales people can work there's an argument that it could actually be better than virtual because of the work that you're doing yeah well the 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 inefficiency of field sales is that you have to go to the customer. It's for sure better to sell face-to-face. The problem is that it costs you something, right? You have to drive there. You have to fly there. You have to get there. And um, whether you're flying or driving, that's adding a big inefficiency. Now, if you're able to fly into, you know, a a state or or province next to you uh, and then have a whole bunch of really efficient meetings lined up one after another, well, that works really well, right? It, it, uh, it, it's not that inefficient if you're able to line them up in, in such a way that you aren't having that much travel time and you're really getting a lot done when you're out in the field. But um, the nice thing about virtual is you don't have to travel at all. You can just sit there and dial things on the phone or bring things up on Zoom. And, and Zoom is really very similar to the phone when you think about it. It doesn't help that much to be able to see people's faces. Helps a little, makes it a little more of a connection. But the phone's been here for a long time. And uh, the reason people do field sales instead of just calling people is, you know, since the phone's, I mean, the phone's been here forever. But field sales has always existed because it is just better to get there. But it does have that cost that you have to go out to them. So, um you know, I, I think the uh, because our software, our, our, our application helps people um, not have to 
travel as far in a given day because we're making it more efficient for them. We're lining up their meetings, helping them focus on the most important people, building out that schedule in a way that makes sense. It, uh, it, it really takes out some of the cost of field sales and can tip things in the, in the direction of, okay, well then it is worth, you know, making that flight to that city because we can line up a whole day of meetings or it really is worth driving out to see this person in person instead of calling them because we're also going to be able to see all these other people at the same time. Yeah, I completely agree. I can definitely see how taking out the inefficiencies makes it a bigger competition compared to what people would try to fit in with the way the world's going so i definitely think that it's needed wanted and if anything more valuable when people have this attachment to field sales that like maybe it's worked for them in the past they just need to find a better way of doing it so i can definitely see how doing it in the way that we've described will keep people in the game despite technology playing a bigger part in everyone's life especially these days so how can people learn more about you steve and badger maps and how can people find out more well the uh, best place to get in touch with me is probably on linkedin just you know search for steve benson badger maps um i'll come right up um if, uh, if it's Badger Maps that you're interested in, if you're in field sales and would like to learn more about what we're doing, the best thing to do is go to badgermapping.com. Just check out our website. And uh, if, um, if, we're, uh, if, it's, if, people, if your listeners are interested, then go to badgermapping.com forward slash podcasts. So it, with an S in the end of podcast. And uh, just to, as a reward for being being punished by listening to my boring economic conversation for for an hour uh there'll there'll be a way like a special deal there for for them to get two months free of the of the product that they can take advantage of from that from that link awesome steve well yeah we did go down a philosophical road when it comes to selling and finances and how people make decisions but hopefully people will find it as enlightening and as interesting as as I do. So thank I hope so. I, and, and I'm super interested in this type of stuff. I, I, uh, I love, I could talk about it all day. Well, I appreciate you carving out the time for us, Steve. I look forward to keeping in touch. Outstanding. Talk to you soon. So for those that are new to the show, make sure you do subscribe if you haven't already. Plenty guests coming to your ears. And if you enjoyed the episode, tell Steve about it. I'm sure he'd be more than happy to hear it and leave a review so we know how you really feel. I enjoyed talking to you, Steve, and I look forward to the people listening, checking out future episodes.